0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Sometimes when I'm thinking about the topics uh, for Sundays, I think... God, I'd really like to hear a talk on that. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely uh, struggle with this myself. This is something that um, I definitely don't have it down. Uh, when, when to actually, um, when to push and when to surrender. I definitely know when I am pushing when I should be surrendering. I definitely have been doing it long enough to become mindful that I need to take a step back and I need to figure out another way that this this is definitely not working. And in my experience, the answer is always surrender, but it doesn't take the shape that, I used to think what surrender meant. I used to think surrender meant a non, like non doing, or just, or waiting, something like this. And actually, I've come to realize in my life that surrender means that I'm actually in the flow, I'm not fighting anything. That, that all the work in the world could be a surrender, that it doesn't have to look a certain way. We've all maybe seen those people that are living what we would consider on purpose, and they're very passionate individuals. And even though it might look on the outside that they're pushing very, very hard, it's almost like they're riding a current, and the current is taking them somewhere, and they're on the current. So it's not like they're really pushing. They might be highly active, and they might be creating, and manifesting, and doing, Yet it comes from this deeper, deeper source. And one of those deeper types of motivating factors, I think, is right intention. I think this is, this is crucial in our lives, and especially like when we're in the pursuit of something. If we're doing it with the right intention, then there seems to be much less conflict. And when when our intention gets a little off track, then we could start running into obstacles. So, what could veer us off of our true intention? I want to talk about a little bit, and these are what we call in Buddhism the three poisons. They call them what? The three poisons. The three poisons. The three poisons. And these are actually uh, personality types. And in some forms of Buddhism, they actually use this as personality types. And, and untransformed, they're all negative in nature. So. <laughs> so they don't sound like, oh, this is your personality. Oh, fantastic. But this is actually in the, in the untransformed state. And in the transformed state, they're very beautiful. And so I'm just going to actually talk about them very briefly because I think that if we're asking the question, you know, should I push or should I surrender, it's because we're at a crossroads. It's because we've already met with conflict. If everything's flowing and everything's okay, we're actually not sitting and thinking, "Wow, what am I doing wrong? You know, should I keep going down this path? Should I surrender? Right. And so when we look at the three poisons, are attachment, aversion, and ignorance. And this is the grasping mind, the mind that is, is, is averting, and the, and the mind that's confused. And so I think that we have all suffered in this way. We've all said, you know, I just really want this. I really, really, really want this. I really want this to happen. You know, we're striving. We're grasping for something. And we're maybe pushing for it because we really, really want it. Whatever that might be. It could be our spiritual path. It could be you know, something in the mundane world. But we really want. And we've also suffered because of aversion. That there's something that we actually don't want. We want it to go away. And we're not quite sure. Let's say if we have a, have a have a strong pain, for example, you know, do we fight it? Or do we surrender to it? Like what do we do? And then I think we've all suffered by just being confused. I don't know what to do. I kind of feel that sense of loss. Like, like, a, like we've lost our, our sense of purpose or our path. The ground has kind of left us. So we've suffered in this way too. These are all very common. And so to look into what personalities uh, we most fit into, uh, Jack Hornfield in this book I'm going to reference, The Wise Heart. He has a great couple chapters on the topic today. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, or from the book, I should say. So he has a good example, a quick example, to kind of see where you fit in. If, if people come, if you're, if you're invited to, like, a housewarming, so your friend says, hey, I, I just purchased a new house, why don't you come in and, and, and take a look and let me know what you think. You know? the, the grasping personality will walk into the home and look at all the things that they like, all the beautiful little ornaments and everything that they that they think is is uplifting and and bright, and beautiful. And they will probably compliment them, saying, "No, this is a beautiful home. This is really nice." And then the mind with more aversion might walk into the home and and pick out the things that they don't really like. Maybe the kitchen is too small, or it needs a lot of work, right? More of a pessimistic outlook Look on it. And then the mind of delusion or ignorance, that personality type might walk in and think, what am I really doing here? She doesn't need me. <laughs> Why does she even invite me over? She already bought the house, it's all good. You know, it's nice to see my friend, but I don't really have an opinion. I really don't. Know. I don't really have an opinion one way or the other, if the home is nice or if it's not nice. So these are just, just the ways of ways of looking. You know, he also talks about friends that he knows. One is kind of an absent-minded professor type. You know, he's this monk, and he's. He has this big, huge heart, but he really can't remember to show up on time or remember what he was going to talk about that day at the talk. Kind of an absent-minded professor type. Or another, another one, another uh, friend of his, Jack Hornfields, who's a nun, and she says, you know, she says, I know but I'm the aversion type. I go to these, I travel all around the world, I go to airports, all the time, and I hate every single one of them. And I'll tell you about each and every one that I don't like and everything. But she says, and I laugh about it. I just know that it's, mm-hmm. it's a part of who I am, and this is how I view mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And they're not all positive. You know. He goes on to talk about a spirit rock, that it's the aversion types that really make the place so beautiful. Like they have the council, council meetings there, and they pick out all the things that they're really not satisfied with. You know they have a high integrity. Like, hey, let's change this. I don't really like this. You know. And Jack himself, he says he's um, a grasping type, where they also call us a greed type. But he says, you know, I walk around and make sure that, you know, I want to see see everything just perfect, you know, just right. So those are those are good qualities to have. Sort of like your cover that you come with to the, like your cover that you come with to the world.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. kind of kind
0: of a filter, and I, I think they blend together. I think that we could we could maybe lean towards a certain way, but it's something that we can maybe find ourselves in a certain situation viewing the world in this way. So the idea though is to transform. It's really a transforming process. Wherever we're at, to transform it into the positive. So the grasping, when transformed, goes from you know, this grasping mind to beauty, abundance, and generosity. Aversion, when transformed, goes into wisdom, loving kindness, another loving kindness, strength, and clarity. Delusion, when transformed, moves into spaciousness equanimity, and understanding. The, the key, the key is, is to realize and to remember that we are not our emotional states. We are not our personality. So this is once we wake up to this, saying, okay, this is kind of the filter that I see this world, but this is actually not me. This is actually not me, that I have a choice actually move out of this and into a state of more flow. So it's when we release this, when we release this firm grasp of reality is like this, then we could enter a state of flow. So we have three different people walked into the same house with three different views. So none of them are actually true, right? They were just opinions about the same home. So beyond that, that's the flow. This is the surrender part. Surrendering this what we actually think that we know and moving into a state of surrender in this way. So I have a few examples of this. The first one is a story that Jack tells about his friend and, and longtime time uh, Zen teacher that, uh, that got Alzheimer's. And he came to a talk one day, and he forgot where he was. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Mm. During the first several years, several Several years of his decline, Hobb, that's the guy's name, would still occasionally teach and speak about his experience. One evening, however, he found himself standing before a meditation group, having forgotten who he was and why he was there. So he so mindfully acknowledged out loud his experiences. Blank mind, nervousness, fear, body tense, embarrassment, coolness, curiosity, nervousness, calming, relaxing, blank mind, loving feelings, warmer, less trembling, still uncertainty, and so on for several minutes. It was all he could do. He stopped rested quietly, and bowed to the audience. They stood up and applauded, in honor honor of his presence and his courage. It was, as several said, among the finest teachings I have ever received. For a moment, Hobb had transformed even Alzheimer's into freedom. Transformed Alzheimer's too? Into freedom. 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 Into freedom. So in this, this part of the book, Jack is talking about transforming our personalities you know, into freedom and even, even Alzheimer's. So we could take where we are, of course, the first step to, to this transformation that's kind of fighting the battle is to know what are we battling. So when we know our tendencies, our personalities, we can actually look in and say, okay, yeah, this is, this is what I have to work with. This is what I'm looking at. So here's a great section here that I like to read about healthy desire. And so this is I really like how Jack puts this here about how what, what healthy what healthy desire looks like. And it's really a combination of this, you know, pushing and surrender when they come together in unison and what it looks like. Buddhist psychology teaches us to distinguish between the painful desire of addiction and driven ambition, and the healthy energies of dedication and commitment. A dream or powerful goal, whether to write a successful novel, to compete in the Olympics, or to create a thriving business, can be pursued in different ways. If the goal exists to prove that we are worthy to cover our insecurity or to conquer others, it will ultimately prove unfulfilling, and come to an unhappy end. And yet, the very same activity can be done in a healthy way with dedication, commitment, and love. The Tibetan monks who work tirelessly and delightedly for a day, for days on end, for days on and an exquisite and complex sand mandala know that after this ceremony, it will be blown away. Gardeners enthusiastically plant annuals knowing that the same flowers will need to be planted again the next year. We all know this experience, giving ourselves to life out of dedication and care. Healthy desire leads to freedom. A skilled basketball player learns about letting go and being in the zone. A dedicated commodities trader learns to blend dispassion, rhythm, and good intuition. The best lovemaking is not about a goal. The Buddha praised healthy desire. He enjoined parents to care for, morally instruct, educate, support, and nurture their children. He taught partners to honor, respect, to be faithful to one another, care for, and work for the benefit of one another. He told employers to offer suitable work for suitable wages, to offer support in times of sickness and appropriate rest, and urged employees to be dedicated, honest, hardworking, and supportive. So it's an idea of moving this unhealthy desire, which we could easily meet with obstacles, into this healthy desire. And again, we could hear hear in this the right intention. The right intention, even our spiritual pursuits. May I become enlightened for the benefit of all beings. It's a very, very pure intention. Not, can I become enlightened so I can tell people how cool I am (laughs) and uh, I could use my enlightened mind to master the universe and make a ton of money. And wear hippie clothes in my beach house overlooking the ocean, like, like this vision of enlightenment. So this this right intention. And then there's this idea of abundance. And they, this idea of abundance and this desire and craving actually just the pure idea of wanting something, <coughs> of craving for something it already has lack consciousness within it. Because it means we're not whole already. So as soon as that we, that we look for something, and we want something to be different than what it is, we're actually coming from a place of lack. Because we're coming from a place that we're already not whole. We're already thinking that we're not whole. So I just want to say a couple of a couple little examples of that. The Indian sage, Nizardagata another one of my teachers, challenged his students saying, the problem with you is not that you have desires, that you desire so little. Why not desire at all? Why not, why not Why not? want complete fulfillment, joy, and freedom? Nisargata did not mean boundless greed. He spoke from the state of consciousness that knows it is not separate from the world. Kabir, the Indian mystic poet, put it this way: "I laugh when I hear the fish in the sea are thirsty." I love, I love that one. I laugh when I hear the fish in the sea are thirsty. <laughs> and so this is just like, just like us. We have, we have everything. We are everything, yet are still looking from a place of lack, like there's still something that we need to add on to ourselves, or we need to purify in a certain way, then we're going to be complete. Right? Or we need to actually grow wise, when we already are wise, So coming from this state. Mm-hmm. So i read one last thing from Th- Thich Nhat Hanh. <laughs> misses this is on, on this last uh, kind of concept of, of being whole already. There is no battle between good and evil, positive and negative. There is only the care given by the big brother to the little brother. In Buddhist meditation, we observe, we act in non-dualistic fashion, and thus the waste materials of the conscious mind can always be transformed into flowers of compassion, love, and peace. Our consciousness is a living thing, something organic in nature. There are always waste materials and flowers in us. The gardener who is familiar with organic gardening is constantly on the alert to save the waste materials because he knows how to transform them into compost and then transform that compost into flowers and vegetables. So be grateful for your pains. Be grateful for your suffering. You will need them. We have to learn the art of transforming compost into flowers. Look at a flower. It is beautiful. It is fragrant. It is pure. But if you look deeply, you could already see the compost in the flower. With meditation, you could see that already. If you do not meditate, You will have to wait 10 days to be able to see that. (laughs) If you look deeply at the garbage heap, with the eye of meditation, you can see lettuce, tomatoes, and flowers. That is exactly what the gardener sees when he looks at the garbage heap. And that is why he does not throw away his waste materials. A bit of practice is all you need to be able to transform the garbage heap into compost. And the compost is the flowers compost into flowers the same is true of our mental formations which include flowers like faith, hope, understanding and love but there is also waste material like fear and pain the flower is on its way to becoming refuse but the refuse is is also on its way to becoming a flower this is the non-dualistic principle of Buddhism there is nothing to throw away If a person has never suffered, he or she will never be able to know happiness. If a person does not know what hunger is, he or she will never know the joy of eating every day. Thus pain and suffering are a necessary condition of our understanding, of our happiness. So do not say that you do not want to know anything about pain or suffering, that you only want to know about happiness. That would be an impossible thing. We know well that suffering helps us to understand, that it nurtures our compassion, and that for this reason it is vitally necessary for us. So we must know how to learn from suffering. We must know how to make use of it, to gather the energy of compassion, of love, and understanding. I was listening to a teacher one time and he said that his teacher kept telling him to stop pushing so hard stop pushing so hard for a long time he told him this but he said you could not get me to stop Mm -hmm. (laughs) I knew in my heart that I had to keep going I had to strive and strive and strive until I broke myself. Like I finally shattered. I finally gave up. But it was, you could hear in his words, it was true and authentic. Like his intention was so strong that even though his teacher was telling him to stop, his pursuit. Took that form of pushing for that amount of time. And he knew that he knew it. This is what I have to do. I know that I have to do this. In my own life, some of the hardest things and some of the hardest times in my life, I knew that I had to be there. I had to be there for them. Even though it was a really bad situation, I was happy to be in it. You know? I was really happy to be in it. I was happy to be. In the struggle of it. So really when we can come to terms with, with this intention, I really think this is this is the blending. This is when when we can merge into it. When we could see, when we could see that these negative aspects of mind might be taking us off track. Oh, maybe I am just grasping. You know, maybe I am. Trying to push away something that's actually healthy for me. You know? When we could look at it and then transform it. And we transform by surrender. And then the surrender gives us this power, you know, gives us f- this volution when we surrender and we open. And when we can accept, you know, kind of goes back to the very bare bones, mindfulness when we, non-judgmental awareness, like this is it. This is it. This is me. This is my struggle. This is, this is my life. And in that spaciousness, you know, because that could be very confusing. And like when we transform into ignorance, right? It moves into spaciousness and then it moves into wisdom. It's like, okay. And this allowing could actually allow something else to move in. Then, oh my gosh, you know, then we can kind of see with, 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 a bigger vision, you could allow. So I thought we'd just do a couple minute meditation on this. So maybe allowing to come to mind something you may be in conflict with. You might feel a sense of struggle. feel a sense of grasping, might feel a sense of aversion, or maybe a sense of confusion. For a moment, just give yourself permission to allow it to be as it is. Still holding it within your frame of reference, holding it with your heart and mind. But not in a way that it needs to be fixed. Give yourself a moment, a moment of surrender. It already is, it's already here. Like not, Han said, that if we meditate on the compost, you could see flowers. This is what the gardener sees. So meditating on your situation. without forcing it, see if some flowers arise in your awareness. Feel the perfectness of it all, the ups and the downs, the compost and the flowers. And that you are all of it, that you are complete because it all exists within you.